Hey, listeners of the Bio Report. Before we get started this week, I wanted to tell you about the digital library from Deep Dive. How much time does your team spend looking for research papers? Google, PubMed, social media. There's got to be a better way. You can now search a reference database of 100 million scientific papers and read the full text of 20 million articles, annotate them, and share with colleagues. It's the smarter way to do research. Here's the best part. If you're like me and been frustrated by not being able to access articles you find because they're behind a paywall, I've got good news. With Deep Dive, you get one-stop affordable research. If you're a listener of the BioReport, you can try the enterprise version of the service for free for one month. Go to deepdive.com forward slash podcast and enter the code BIOREPORT. That's deepdive, D-E-E-P-D-Y-V-E dot com forward slash podcast. And the code is BIOREPORT, one word, all caps. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Sumitomo Dinepon Pharma's $3 billion transaction with Royvant Sciences, which gave rise to Sumatavant, represents an effort by the Japanese drug company to make the drug development process faster and more efficient. A critical piece of this effort is steps it's taken to harness information technology to capitalize on existing knowledge to inform decision-making. We spoke to Bill McMahon, Chief Algorithmic Analytics Officer at Sumatavant, about the approach the company is taking, the way it uses information technology to improve the drug development process, and how the subsidiary may be influencing the way its parent company operates. Bill, thanks for joining us. Uh, Daniel, thanks for inviting me on the show. We're going to talk about Smatavant, its business model, and its efforts to better harness available data to speed drug development and improve decision-making around it. Perhaps we can begin with a little background. People may be familiar with Vivek Ramswamy's and his Vance. Smatavant was actually born out of Sumitomo Dinipan Pharma's acquisition of five Vance. What is Smatavant, and, and where does it sit in relation to Sumitomo and the group of Vance it acquired? Sure. So um, uh, as you mentioned, Sumitavant was formed out of a $3 billion transaction between uh, Dynapon Sumitomo Pharma uh, and Royvant. So Dynapon Sumitomo is a mid-sized Japanese pharma company. Royvant is a startup pharmaceutical company about six six years old. So Royvant has been successful at in-licensing drugs and therapies refining their clinical development plan to optimize their positioning to address unmet need, raising external capital to support the clinical development plan, then hiring an executive team to execute that clinical development plan. 
So when a drug was expected to address high unmet need, Royvant spun off a subsidiary to house the drug, generally named with the suffix Vant. So DSP, um, Dynapon Sumitomo, purchased Royvant's ownership stake in five of those subsidiaries, uh, and also two technology teams, Digital Innovation, headed by Dan Rothman, and my computational research team with our computational ecosystem that we've branded uh, the drug on. So uh, Sumitovant uh, is the parent company of the five subsidiaries uh, that were that, whose ownership stake from Royvant was acquired by DSP. Um, and it is a whole, Sumitavant is a wholly owned subsidiary of uh, DSP. So we have a, a, basically a, a two-prong role or three-prong role, really. So the first is as a governance company of the five subsidiaries. And second, um, to support the digital transformation of DSP through the tech, two technology key, uh, teams. And then finally, we required with the intent to be a growth engine of DSP's uh, U.S. pipeline. Well, to what extent has Sumitomo embraced the original vision behind the Vance strategy and to what extent has it altered it? Uh, so I think there are uh, multiple components of the Vance strategy. Um, so uh, within Royvan itself, there was a substantial component of uh, externalizing the financial sources associated with the clinical development. Um, so I would say that that aspect uh, has uh, the emphasis on it has been reduced as part of uh, Sumitavent. Um, but there, uh, the, the other component of Royvent that I would say has been uh, fairly successful um, is aligning people's incentives uh, with their, you know, the principal objective. And so that the, the advanced subsidiaries ensure that focused executive teams are executing the clinical development plans that have been um, sort of optimized for the drugs that are a part of Avant. Uh, and that, that has persisted within uh, Vant in, in our subsidiary structure. And does Sumitavant act more as a portfolio manager and investor than a traditional drug developer? And is there an ideal size to fully leverage this approach that is there a sweet spot in terms of the the capital size or the pipeline that you're developing? Uh, I, I don't know that we've reached the uh, the the state where we can know what is the optimal portfolio size for this approach. Um, uh, but I would. Uh, I, I would say so. We come from both a portfolio management perspective, um, but also from the from the perspective uh, the the people who are within Sumitavant have fairly extensive experience within their particular domains, uh, and they can support um, w when we observe uh, that there may be uh, additional leverage that that experience can bring to the table in terms of driving efficiencies within, uh, within the execution of the clinical development plans or commercialization with advance, then we can rapidly bring uh, that experience to, to bear to support um, the, the clinical development or the commercial uh, execution within advance. So, that, that, so we end up with a, a dual role where um, we oversee the portfolio uh, to, to some extent, but we also support um, the the successful execution of, of, uh, of that portfolio. Collectively, how big is the platform it oversees today? And is it agnostic to indications and modalities, or is there some 
underlying focus? Uh, so in this case, so uh, so it's a, we have two drugs that are undergoing commercialization right now. So Myovant, um, which is uh, not a wholly owned subsidiary of Sumitavant, but a, a publicly traded company with a, a majority owned stake by, by Sumitavant, they are in the process of commercializing Relugolix for prostate cancer, and they're expected to get improve, approved for um, uh, endometriosis and uterine fibroids in the, in, in, over the next year. Um, and uh, uh, there are so the, in addition to Myovant, so Eurovant is in the process of commercializing by Begron uh, for overactive bladder. Um, we also have Altavant, which is, uh, has two drugs, one focused uh, on, on uh, pulmonary arterial hypertension and another pro- focused on bronchiolitis obliterans syndrome. Uh, and we also have Spirovant, which is a, uh, has a gene therapy um, that is preclinical for uh, cystic fibrosis, and um, uh, Enzavant, which recently got approval for its therapy for, uh, to treat complete DeGeorge syndrome or complete congenital athymia. Um, but my team, the, the Drugome team, uh, has a, a broader mandate. So we actually also work with uh, Synovian, who has a commercial stage drug, Latuda, um, but also drugs both in clinical development and, uh, um, and, and the preclinical stage. Uh, and we also work with uh, Sumitomo Dynapon Pharma Oncology, which is the U.S. subsidiary, subsidiary that was created out of uh, Tolero, uh, dr- an oncology drug discovery company, uh, and Boston Biomedical, which was a clinical stage oncology uh, company. So, uh, and we also work with uh, Dynapon Sumitomo themselves uh, and do supportive analyses uh, within their portfolio of drugs in Japan. And are there shared functions across the different organizations or are all of the organizations doing all of the functions you would find at any individual biopharmaceutical company? Uh, I would say it's a a bit of a complex question. There are certain aspects. um, There are certain things that are shared across all of the different uh, entities. uh, And then there are other pieces which only exist at a, at a particular entity. So it, um, uh, you know, like drug discovery, uh, there's uh, oncology focused drug discovery. Uh, um, th- there is, I would say, joint interaction between uh, SDPO uh, and groups within uh, DSP um, and, and the overall uh, oversight of, of spend that resides with uh, DSP. Um, but then there, um, you know, so, but then there are other groups that are, uh, purely focused at the, at the particular, um, at their particular, uh, subsidiary. 10 years ago, I don't think you could find someone in a biopharmaceutical company with your title, chief algorithmic analytics officer. How do you describe your role within Somatovant? So that's a good question. I, I, I'll, I'll preface that by, um, talking a little bit about my background. So I, I'm, I actually got my PhD in, in computational physics. So my uh, advisor had a joint appointment in physics and electrical and computer engineering. The focus of my work was uh, actually simulation of electrochemical reactions far from equilibrium. So integrating full band structure, Monte Carlo simulation of electronic transport 
um, with density functional calculations of defect bond energies and scattering rate equations related to electrochemical interactions. So my first industry job was in the semiconductor industry where that experience was, I'd say, highly relevant. And there we were focused on um, technology development to extend uh, Moore's law. I was working at Intel at first. Um, so what I observed at Intel, so the focus was primarily developing a manufacturing process that would reliably produce the next generation of integrated circuits. It was fundamentally clear that the infrastructure of data-driven decision-making was critical to, this, to the success of this like very technology forward um, and very complex process. But it is an infrastructure involved in data-driven decision-making. There are designed, standardized experiments. There's a host of measurement apparatuses of all types. There's integration of those measurement apparatuses with data storage facilities. There are databases. There's code to extract data from the databases. There's standardized code repositories and libraries of code to build analyses, right? So when, when I came to pharma, um, what I observed, I, I was brought in to sort of rationalize the data-driven decision-making of the business development process. For Royvent, that meant primarily uh, valuing uh, drugs for potential in-licensing. Um, and what I, what I observed was largely individuals making individual decisions based on the best available data that happened to be in front of them. And, you know, frequently, like, there, it involved a lot of Googling, a lot of reading paper, papers, and fairly extensive curation efforts. And so what I have tried to bring to bear at first within Royvent, now within Sumitavent, was um, bringing that data-driven decision-making analytical infrastructure, uh, creating that in a pharma context to ensure that strategic uh, uh, decisions around drug value um, can be made in a data-driven way. Um, and so that was why when I joined uh, Sumitavent, I, um, I, I came up with this, the title that I did because the intent is not just to do analytics, but to ensure that the data is in place for analytics to be done um, by people who are in the right place to make the right decisions to, to, drive, um, to drive the company forward. There's no shortage of data around drugs, whether it's molecular information, clinical trials data, or real-world evidence. What's the challenge to tapping into all of those dip, disparate sources of data and extracting actionable information and how do you given your background know how to weigh those different pieces of information and how to make sure you're tapping ones that bring in value to decision making yeah so i would say, i would say uh, the aspect of that that ensures that uh i uh, am able to do that is by maintaining a focus on um, the, the, the fundamental problem of understanding the value of a drug in the marketplace. And so whenever I engage with uh, a group for whom my team can provide analytics, uh, fundamentally, it's, it's, to, it's to an eye, what can the tools that we have uh, actually deliver efficiency to that team? And or if we are def creating new tools in support of uh, a team's business problem, do those help us to better value drugs uh, in, in the marketplace? And so I, I would say that, so data within biopharma is incredibly heterogeneous. Um, so there's a couple of aspects that I would say my team has become most familiar with. So one is that there's the structured data, um, and that is the data that can go into a relational database and that data scientists can query and analyze with simplified code or with simple code. Um, 
And then separately, there's the unstructured data, which for, for which generally means just text in documents. So the data that my team has uh, the most facility with is the data that supports epidemiology and curation and support of asset valuation. So we, um, so I would say from my somewhat of an outsider perspective, uh, epidem- epidemiology has been fundamentally transformed by the introduction and availability of the identified electronic medical records and claims. Um, they're, they're fundamental to nearly all aspects of pharma. And I believe much of the success of my team in delivering business value across all of these different subsidiaries has been because we uh, went hard early and early at integrating the analysis of claims data into as many pharma business problems as we could. And it's still very common for us to engage with a new team who has uh, potentially a fairly standard epidemiological question, um, and they still don't know where they would have gone. And we show them what you can do with electronic claims, uh, and we provide them answers uh, very, very quickly. But then uh, there's, there's also unstructured data, and that's an area that we've also driven fairly hard at. Um, so fundamentally, for, for many questions in pharma, it is difficult to get to a place other than where you have an analyst and that analyst Googles some text and reads some papers. So trying to identify and make more efficient wherever such a process occurs um, is, is principal to my, my team's approach. In that direction, we've, we've had to build up an, uh, a natural language processing architecture that enables us to rapidly create and deploy natural language processing models to targeted subsets of documents um, to extract results that we believe to be more complete than the traditional analyst uh, Googling a a specific problem. And we've applied that infrastructure in competitive intelligence uh, through the organization, um, but uh, throughout the organization, but particularly to executives um, uh, and in the, uh, the business development process. But we're also applying it to support drug discovery and ensure focus of uh, drug discovery, the discovery, uh, drug discovery process on high promise uh, uh, targets, which, you know, through our extraction of information for the literature and the combination of that data with uh, structure, with data that we have from structured data sources, we know to be of high potential value to the company. So we believe that this ultimately makes the overall organization smarter. Along the way, has there been any surprising indicator of value? Uh, that is a very good question. I think I think the biggest surprise when I first came into pharma. I mean, there are a couple of big surprises. Uh, one of the first big surprises is that large pharma companies generally don't develop their own drugs or don't discover their own drugs. Um, they generally in license drugs uh, from uh, from uh, earlier stage uh, biotech companies. Um, but I, so, but one of the the other surprise was. Uh, within Royvent, um, one of the uh, one of the la- la- highest cost items uh, in terms of developing a drug is is the phase three uh, clinical trial, uh, and so I dug in fairly early in my my time at uh, at uh, Royvent to understand what it is about clinical trials, what are the actual driving factors in the overall cost of a phase three trial, and I, and I ended up developing a clinical trial cost model to understand um, that cost, and. What I found for uh, a large fraction of indications, and I would probably the majority of phase three clinical trials, uh, the cost is the principal component of the cost. The majority of the cost is not driven by doctors treating or measuring patients. The majority of the cost is actually associated with um, the the management uh, and coordination of 
uh, across all of the different sites that are that are a component of clinical trial. Uh, and so fundamentally, if you want to substantially improve the overall cost of a clinical trial, a large, com- a large fraction of that is ensuring that you have rapid enrollment in that clinical trial because uh, a faster uh, enrollment ensures that you reduce the overall, um, the overall overhead associated with managing the sites. And then that actually represents, in most cases, the majority of the costs associated with trial. As part of Sumitomo's acquisition, it got Roy Vance Technology Platforms. The, the first of this is the Drugome. What is the Drugome and, and how does it work? So the Drugome is the, is the name, I would say the brand that, that we've uh, given to the ecosystem of uh, data, which is a combination of um, uh, you know, text documents uh, and subscription data sources, publicly available data sources. The, uh, the code that we have built and the databases that we've built to house uh, that data um, the code repositories that store the, the uh, algorithmic analyses that we have done to utilize that data for to answer strategic questions within pharma, uh, and and the graphical user interfaces that we've built um, for the standardized analyses that we've done. Um, so uh, I, I would say that the thing that usually appeals um, to a lot of people when discussing the drug home is the uh, the, the graphical user interfaces and, and the ability of interv- individuals to kind of browse around with our data sets. But, uh, but uh, practically speaking for individual analysts, most frequently their, their questions are too complex to answer within a, a GUI that we have set up to access the data. And so the most useful function for what we do um, is to I, is to basically use our, our repository of code and our repository of techniques combined with the, the expertise uh, of the individuals on my team to synthesize uh, new analyses, bespoke analyses that, that satisfy um, uh, specific strategic questions of interest. Well, how does that actually used in practice to inform decision-making? And is it a, essentially given a decision maker uh, a value or a value range of a particular asset they're considering acquiring? Uh, well, so I, I would say one of the advantages that I have had, uh, um, so in Sumitavan in particular, um, because I report directly into Myrtle, our CEO, and because of our uh, aggressive uh, interactions across the ecosystem or across the family of, of uh, DSP companies. Um, it is, I have fairly high visibility into what are the important strategic questions um, across uh, that family of companies. And as a result, I, can, uh, I have both visibility into what we can do uh, and what is important. And I can ensure that um, my team applies appropriately re- the, the resources that are available to us uh, to the questions of, of high significance that we also are able to provide, um, you know, important uh, uh, feedback on. And what's been done to, to validate the system and how do you alter the inputs or the algorithms as you go? 
Uh, well, we built built everything from scratch. So uh, we have the capability. So the capabilities that exist on my team contain both uh, computational infrastructure capabilities, uh, which I, you know, is 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 my own kind of background, um, but also uh, you know statistics, uh, pharmaceutical experience, um, uh, healthcare related backgrounds. Generally, everyone on the team is a coder. Everyone on the team is fluent in math. Um, essentially, everyone on the team has had uh, a fair amount of farm experience, and everyone on the team has built substantial expertise on multiple bodies of, of, of data. So um, it, it is pretty easy for us to uh, ensure that we bring the resources on the team uh, and the expertise on the team uh, and, and the existing code base uh, to bear on, on problems of significance. Is there a kind of case study you can offer of how this was used to actually make a decision? Uh, I, I would say that we are involved in a broad variety of decisions on an everyday basis. So uh, we work with clinical um, operations teams and we've worked with them in the past to provide uh, you know, lists of likely uh, likely sites of significance uh, to, that they should target for uh, clinical trials. We have uh, provided lists to business development groups, which uh, incorporate um, uh, elements like overlap analyses um, of uh, existing high decile docs uh, with clinical competitiveness within particular indications to get to lists of you know, say dozens of, uh, of drugs that are, are um, in development for, for a specific indication or have mechanism of action that is of, of high interest to, um, to uh, you know, to particular, is believed to be of, of high strategic importance for, within uh, the company. Um, we work with uh, health economics outcome research groups to construct uh, biostatistical analyses to um, and have uh, have had multiple publications uh, in the fields of in the field of HUR. Uh, we help to develop hypotheses um, uh, around potential sources of drug value and validate those hypotheses within within uh, uh, within our real world data uh, data set. Um, we have helped to select specific uh, oncology related targets. Um, that on, for which uh, there is actually drug discovery opportunity and molecule um, uh, design uh, ongoing. So there's, uh, you know, it's a little bit sensitive to, to speak to specific results um, in a business development context due to um, uh, to the kind of uh, uh, corporate uh, uh, sensitivity to it. But I mean, the, the, we've pretty much touched our analyses have pretty much touched every aspect of, of, uh, of drug development from drug discovery through commercial launch. Well, there's a second platform you use. This is the digital innovation platform. What is that and how is that used? Sure. So um, the, uh, so I, I encourage you to bring in uh, Dan Rothman, who is our chief digital officer and head of the digital innovation effort. Um, he, uh, he, has a dual role of chief digital officer, both uh, uh, Dynapon Sumitomo and and with Suminovan. So I'll, I'll just give the high level summary, um, but I'll start from that with a, a from a conversation that I observed several years back at a at artificial intelligence and pharma, pharma forum uh, at at MIT actually. So um, 
when thought leaders were polled on a panel on how to make data science effective in an organization um, through a center of excellence or through distributing data science into, uh, into uh, the individual business units, um, the thought leaders ended up in a consensus that you really need both. You, you need the operational discipline that comes from embedded data scientists in business units, but you also need the gurus have some, who have some space to innovate and to develop sort of the deep expertise on, on data sources that's necessary to, um, you know, to kind of facilitate like expertise on, on the deep analyses. So digital innovation represents the first piece of that puzzle, puzzle ensuring that you have the, um, the connectivity of the, the data scientists and the programmers uh, to the business problems, ensure that that can uh, bring uh, innovation to bear on those business functions. And then the drug own piece represents the, uh, you know, the non-embedded piece, uh, the, the piece where we develop the deep expertise on the data sources and the te- techniques that enable us to uh, innovate on, on strategy. There's been great pressure to improve R&D efficiency in biopharma. How do you leverage the structure you have to keep it efficient rather than duplicating efforts across the different companies? Yeah, so that's a that's a great question. I, I'll touch on three different uh, areas. So there's uh, uh, clinical efficacy of drugs and estimating the clinical efficacy of drugs, um, generating synthesized understanding of drug value across multiple data sources, um, and then the use of data to drive uh, clinical trial execution efficiency. So I, I'd say one of the things about um, it, like the so when you start in assessing the likely value of a drug, you always start with uh, clinical efficacy. Um, there's kind of a, an, an obvious absurdity to uh, uh, assessing clinical efficacy. So clinical trial data, even for approved drugs, is primarily only published in journal article form. Uh, so presumably the FDA actually has a, huge, a giant database of uh, SAS files that contained well-structured data for all clinical trials for all approved drugs. If that structured data were openly available, then a competent data analyst could actually run and a competent biostatistician uh, could run a meta-analysis in a couple of hours, as opposed to the way that meta-analyses are run right now, which is uh, involves hunting down the set of all papers, extracting manually um, the means of means um, uh, and scaling them appropriately uh, for whatever endpoints happen to have been published in, in that particular, uh, in the particular published subset of articles. So if the FDA would actually mandate the release of de-identified data files, at least for the approved drugs, then there'd be huge efficiency gain for clinical efficacy evaluation specialists. So what we um, end up doing, what we end up bringing to bear on, on clinical efficacy is first, we know where the data is. We know where the structure of data is. We make, the, um, the, we make that data available as fast as possible. We've built up uh, through interactions with, uh, with uh, MDs and people who typically assess clinical effic- efficacy um, we have the facility to structure that data appropriately. Um, we also uh, can find the papers that would contain clinical efficacy very rapidly. And we also have tools that, that uh, support our extraction of, um, of the efficacy from those papers, papers. So what we bring to bear is, in general is the, uh, the data infrastructure that enables us to um, uh, make that business process of extracting efficacy more, uh, uh, more efficient. And we can do that uh, within Sumit event when Sumit event is assessing potential indications of interest. 
We can do that for any business development group across the DSP uh, family companies. So that's on the clinical efficacy side. So it's the second piece where um, there uh, are opportunities with respect to uh, data efficiency um, is res- with respect to assessing likely value of a drug, which is obviously of importance first when you uh, want to in license a drug, but but pretty much at every stage of, of a drug. When you are planning out the clinical trial development plan pre-NDA or when you are um, optimizing the label uh, post-NDA and defining any particular uh, clinical trial necessary to optimize the, la- the, the label. And so one of the things that we bring to bear there, uh, one of the difficulties in doing that kind of drug valuation process um, is that uh, the structured data that's available and uh, generally um, uh, contains uh, is against different naming ontologies, be that for indications, be that for uh, mechanisms of action or, um, uh, or, or even drug names themselves. So uh, with respect to indications, the NIH has tried to um, relate the different uh, uh, ontologies of disease naming to, to each other through the Unified Medical Language System, UMLS, which we, which we utilize heavily. But um, very commonly, subscription data sources don't adhere to those naming con- conventions. They come up with their own disease ontology, uh, which frankly is frequently inferior to the existing ones. So one of the advantages and one of the things that one of the strengths that we have um, is that we have uh, we have become expert at uh, integrating naming um, conventions across these different ontologies. Once you have the expertise in that, then you can construct synth- synthesized um, analyses across all of those different data sources. So you can connect the competitive intelligence databases with the real world data to come up with a, uh, a unified approach to uh, overall um, having a, a value for the drug. But so, so um, I guess the, the final uh, area uh, I would uh, like to touch with respect to that is, is the one that you brought up um, earlier, which is, uh, uh, I would say, a lot of genomics data, a lot of pathway databases, like there's a lot of, um, I would say, the earlier stage uh, dr- uh, drug data uh, that is uh, spread across a broader way, largely of scientific um, websites, academic websites. Uh, and what we have brought to bear there um, is, you know, developing the deep expertise, understanding which of the websites are of critical importance um, for specific uh, questions of interest. And of course, uh, like science, estimating the likelihood of, of efficacy of a drug is, is of high relevance uh, even when a drug is phase three, because uh, it is not always the case that um, that uh, a pharma company has made uh, good decisions uh, that are strongly based on the science with respect to um, whether or not a mechanism of action is likely to work in a particular indication. Um, but it's also useful at the earlier stage um, of, of drug discovery. Um, but, uh, you know, there's still, I would say we're in the early stages um, so the Human Genome Project provided essentially the alphabet uh, of, of uh, human uh, medical function. Um, and we are, I'd say, in the early stages of building, uh, you know, the pathways, the molecular pathways that represent, say, the words uh, that are built out of that alphabet. And then uh, ultimately, 
in order for us to understand overall human function, we need to lace together the alphabet with the words, with the sentence, sentences, you know, cellular, uh, um, cellular expression of, of, uh, of, of different genes, um, the use of that cellular expression of different tissue types, um, the, uh, the entire role of those different t- tissue types and various organs, and ultimately the the um, the implications of the overall human function for specific uh, indications. Um, we're in the early stages of building um, the uh, a you know the type of data tool that would enable you to uh, to dig into that overall um, database of human function uh, and understand it in the context of the application of a specific drug to that, uh, to that human function. So that, that's ultimately what we're trying to build out and connecting that to, um, you know, the value of a specific drug is what I believe will ultimately uh, enable Sumitavant to have a strategic advantage in, in the drug development process. I understand the case for having focus specialized and, and highly incentivized teams doing the development of particular assets, but one of the most costly decisions is not killing a program when it should be killed. How is decision-making handled with regards to advancing or killing a program? Uh, so uh, I, I, I would speak, so generally it is of uh, importance anytime that uh, a subsidiary uh, intends to either investigate a new indication um, or bring, bring a drug to the next clinical phase, uh, that there's an overall evaluation process to ensure that, um, you know, not just from uh, whether or not the drug work will work perspective, but also from the impact on the label, the, the commercial efficacy of the drug or the commercial um, you know, opportunity for the drug whether or not the mm-hmm. investment at that stage um, is, is ultimately an investment that, that is one that the company should make. Um, and so uh, Sumitavan has worked to establish a governance process to ensure uh, that we holistically look across all of, uh, all of the, those elements um, at the stages where, um, you know, a large capital commitment will end up uh, um, you know, being needed to, to take a drug forward. Ultimately, how do you see these technology platforms differentiating the company or, or giving it a, an edge over competitors? Uh, so that's where, um, you know, it ultimately it's up to us to apply, uh, to apply the platforms um, to, uh, to ensure that we have a data-driven decision-making process um, I, uh, you know, as I like indicated in my, in my past, uh, experience, uh, within the semiconductor industry, it was clear that, uh, as long as you establish the infrastructure to ensure that, uh, that decision-making is data-driven, um, you know, it is certainly helpful if you have senior management that, is highly experienced um, and and is going to try to make good decisions. Um, but if the infrastructure is in place such that the decisions are data driven, um, 
then that means that the data, the decisions that are made uh, are, are going to be better. Um, and the way that you build a durable uh, competitive advantage for a company um, is to ensure that the processes that you have um, can continue uh, driving, giving, delivering effective results, um, even when, uh, you, you know, regardless of the people that are, are in place to execute those processes. So I would say the evolution of Sumitavant to some extent from Royvant is to become a more process uh, uh, oriented company. Uh, and what I'm trying to ensure and, and the, the leadership of Sumitavant is trying to ensure is that the processes that we are putting in place um, with respect to managing the overall portfolio uh, guarantee that we are making good decisions with respect to that portfolio. Bill McMahon, Chief Algorithmic Analytics Officer of Sumitavant. Bill, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Daniel. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.